Welcome to the First Customers Podcast. Today we have Ron Carr. He's the creator of the Velocity Mindset, and he's helped his clients increase their incremental revenues by over $1 billion over the course of his 30-year career. Um, Ron, welcome to the show. It's an honor to have you here. Thank you, Paris. It's a pleasure for me to be here, too. Let's start off by, by talking about how you got your very first customers. My very first customer was Marilyn Blue Cross <laughs> and Blue Shield. 1988, oh, wow. after I just started this brand new business as a sales trainer. And I got it within two weeks. And all I did was cold call. I didn't even really? know what I shouldn't be doing, but I just did it, you know, in spite of myself. And, um, <laughs> And but my business didn't stay the same in the next 33 years. Um, it morphed, you know, um, it yeah. morphed from being a, a sales trainer. Then I, the things I liked about it, but things I didn't like about it, you know, and then it morphed into being a keynote speaker and being more of an advisor. And the reason why it morphed is because sales training has a, has a, uh, connotation that somebody is being valued at much lower than a keynote or an expert coming in the keynote or an advisor to CEOs. And obviously I had a plan that I wanted to make X amount of money, but also sure. make an X amount of impact on people's lives. So that's why I gravitated more towards the keynoting and the uh, advisor to corporations and uh, entrepreneurs. Okay. So you've advised a lot of companies and helped them get customers. Uh, go through some of your advice, maybe some of the most common problems that companies have getting those very first sure. customers. Well, again, number one is, you know, I use the velocity mindset, so all culminated velocity mindset. And let's just ask you a question, Paris. You know, when you hear the word velocity, what's the first word that comes to your mind? Speed. Right. And that's what people think this is all about, and it's not. Okay. Because the true definition of velocity, the physics definition is speed with direction. Okay. And so when I use the word direction, I'm talking about the end in sight you start with first. The example okay. that I give is, let's suppose you go to, what's the nearest big airport by you? In uh, Birmingham. Birmingham. Birmingham Airport. Mm -hmm. Okay, so you go to Birmingham, and let's suppose you want to go to Miami. And you yeah. ask the pilot, you know, so we're going to Miami, and he says, nope, we go wherever the winds take us. Would you stay on that plane? <laughs> <laughs> no, sir. Of course you wouldn't. <laughs> because pilots start with the end in sight first. They first, okay, I'm going to Miami. They don't start with Birmingham, They where they are. They go mm -hmm. to Miami. And they work yeah. their way back to find what are the two or three waypoints, meaning if we go over them, we know we're on our way. They factor in all the potential obstacles and objections, storms, winds, and everything. And they create the best path forward to get in the safest and fastest amount of time. Right. And that's what we have to do because when we don't start with the end in sight, we waste a lot of time because we're doing sure. actions that are not germane to our purpose. And this goes for everything, whether you're doing a business plan for a business, whether you're about to make a sales call with somebody, if you don't have that goal in sight, like for example, you know, sales executive will call me up. He goes, I got this big meeting. I said, great, what's your goal? Uh, I want to close a deal. Uh, wait a second. <laughs> what appointment is this in your sales cycle? Oh, it's my first call. Oh, that explains it. So you yeah. have a one call sales cycle, right? No, 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 no. It takes about five, ten. 
So you're going in on the first call with the goal to close it? If that's your goal, you know what's going to happen to them, Paris? They're going to puke in that call. Puke mm -hmm. stands for people who utter knowledge about everything. They're going to talk and not <laughs> listen because they're after one thing, which is making that person say yes. And they're not doing what they should be doing in the first call. A goal in the first call should be to qualify whether or not this opportunity is good for both of you. And if so, right. identify the next step for it. Mm. So if we That's don't good. start with the end in sight, we tend to get busy with to-do tasks because in our to-do list. But how many times were we so busy that day that we get frustrated because we had no time for ourselves, but yet we didn't do anything to move ourselves toward our goal. So number one, start with the end in sight first because it's the direction that's key to your velocity. And then number two, make sure that you only do the actions that support that. Yeah, that's really good. Um, I think a lot of times maybe a, a whole sales process isn't fleshed out or, or like you're saying, maybe they've, they've got an idea of the sales process, but they don't have a goal per step. Right. Don't say focused on each goal at each step and try right. to push too much, uh, up front. Okay. So what, what happens after that in, in kind of the, after that initial call, that initial having the purpose for qualifying the lead? How do you advise like moving to that next well, step? Before we can go after the initial call, we have to go to the next thing is how to have the initial goal. Call. Okay. All yeah. we talked about is your goal. But we haven't figured out the goal of the customer. So okay. what we have to do if we look at neuroscience and, and look at the hormones, and we discussed this in the Velocity Mindset book, um, the first thing you have to understand is the hormones that are necessary to create engagement in someone's mind. Hmm. So let's take the hormone cortisol. Cortisol is the fight or flight hormone. We all have it. You cannot get rid of it. That's not the issue. But the issue is, is it at a level that allows you to be engaged? For example, if you take a continuum, you know, zero to 10, Zero to ten. I'm trying to keep it in the screen here, and uh, <laughs> and if uh, ten, you know, is the top metric, and zero is zero, meaning no cortisol to a lot of cortisol. Ten. Where should you be? Well, zero to two is very little engagement because the person's not really interested in what you're talking about. Four to five is we really want them. Four to five is where they're really engaged and ready to go. If it goes above five to a six, seven, they start getting antsy. Like all of a sudden, this is not meeting their needs or they have what you're talking about. And if they think you're really wasting their time, it goes up to seven, eight, nine, ten. They're not even listening. They're fleeing. They may still be there physically, but they're fleeing in their mind. So you have to understand that the first thing you have to do on any call phone call, email, in-person visit, you have to create a safe environment for them to want to talk to you or spend time with you. So you know that right at the beginning, that cortisol is probably in the six to seven range. Because they know you're coming in, you're trying to sell them something, they want to protect themselves against being sold to Brooklyn Bridge, 
and all that stuff, right? <laughs> yeah. Well, if all you do is start puking on them about all the things you do, like, hey, Paris, how are you doing? Hey, look, uh, you have a meeting coming up because I do keynotes at, at a lot of sales conferences. Let me show you what I could be doing for your meeting. And all of a sudden, if you yeah. have that wall up that you're pre trying to prevent me from selling you something, are you listening to that statement that I just said, yes or no, Paris? Uh, no. Not no. if you came at the wall, you hear a bunch of sales stuff, you get overwhelmed and yeah. And what happens yeah. to your cortisol? Probably goes up. Goes up. So I'm even doing things that I shouldn't be doing because I'm not hurting I'm not, I'm hurting my cause. Right? Right. So how do you create an environment? Start by asking questions about what they need to accomplish. Mm -hmm. What they're trying to do. So Paris, we started the phone call differently or the visit, whatever we're doing. And I say, hey, Paris, I understand you're a VP of sales and you probably have some sales conferences that you bring your team together. Is that a fair statement? Sure. Yeah. When you're planning your next sales conference, which you're probably thinking about, what is the one thing you want to happen after that conference with your team? What do you want them doing differently? Like a sales training conference where they're getting trained. Whatever. What, okay. The, uh, the idea is is more leads, more sales. Okay. Now, I'm going to ask you that question again. Mm -hmm. I want you to do the same thing. Okay. I want the audience this time to really look at you as you're answering. Right? Okay. <laughs> Don't be smart, right. just even though you yeah. have 200,000 people watching this. Just uh, we hope so, but yeah. Yeah. Just for yourself, okay? Yeah. So, Paris, you're probably planning your next sales meeting. Is that a fair statement? Yes. Um, if you consider that sales meeting to be successful, what do you need to see happen once it's over? We'd like uh, a, a, okay. You just did the same thing you did the first time, and okay. I'm going to point it out. Okay. Were, were you looking at yourself on, on, on your Zoom picture when you did it? I actually had myself covered up, so I didn't see myself. I was looking off to the, so to the side. I'm going to ask you again and be yourself, but uncover yourself. See if you can see it. Okay. All right. All right. So you're planning your, your next sales conference. You just said so. <laughs> what is the one thing yeah. that has to happen for it to be a success when it's over? Did you see what I you said? Took a breath. No. Paused, oh, what? Looked yeah, off? Rolled up. Okay. Okay. Right then and there, there was a change in the chemistry in your brain. Hmm. When I asked you that question, the first time I did it, I was trying to tell you I was the best keynote speaker, telling you all the reasons I should, and you said your cortisol went up. This time I started by asking you, what do you would deem success to be and what would it look like to you? Mm -hmm. Did you feel a change in your, in your mental being when I changed to that question? Sure. I think there's a subtle difference there. Yeah. Where it's a different type of question. So it's, it's like a different, uh, framework or framing of the situation. Okay. Let's do it again. First way. So okay. I know you're a VP of sales and I want to tell you about a keynote that I do. It's called the velocity mindset. I've done it on six continents, helped a lot of companies go over a billion dollars, and 
I just know that this would be great for your company. All right. Stop. Okay. Your cortisol is going up a little bit because I'm doing a lot of talking and everything. <laughs> and you're afraid. I don't know. I mean, well, you're saying some big, some big numbers yeah, and uh, dollars, qualifications. Right, right. right. So it's like, okay, it well. But now we're going to okay. do it again. Hey, Paris, I understand you're, you're um, planning a big meeting, and this is a very important thing because you have a big investment in it. For it to be successful at the end, what would it look like to you, success? We'd want to, to make more money from it. We want to land some more sales, close more deals. Okay, stop. Mm -hmm. Is there a difference in your being right now than the first time I did it a second ago? Sure. It feels like the first time you were kind of blasting forward and we were about to hear a big pitch. And then this second one was more of a conversational question. Right. But when I asked you, what would success look like to you? There was a change in your chemistry. Can you describe it for us? Uh, I guess it makes me think more internally about my own goals okay. instead of thinking about you and what you've done. Good. And What else? Keep okay. going. That's good. Keep going. Uh, so I guess the first one, it did make you sound more credible in things because you're, you're set, you know, you're listing off your credentials and everything, but it is, it's like, I felt I was getting pushed back almost. And I was more in listening mode where when you changed it, to more of that conversational question. It was, it was more of an en engaged engagement well, mode where I felt like we were having a conversation. Wanted to go. Yeah. By me putting all that big stuff that we, we and it's all true. We increase incremental revenue over a billion dollars and six continents and all that. Most people can't relate to that. Oh, okay. So you're building a connection. Yeah. Yeah. Some more common but, ground, but, but that's a great word. So there's two parts to the body you got to worry about when you're trying to influence, and this is everybody, kids, parents, whatever, heart and mind. Mm. Most people go to the mind. They start giving all the features and everything else of what they can do, just what I did the first time. Right. But the heart is where you get real connection. The heart is where you get emotional connection to want to now hear what I have to say when I go to that part. And how do you get to someone's heart? by helping them get to where they're striving to be. Wow, okay. And asking them, what would it look like? Now, when I asked you that question, what would success look like? Because we're gonna get to the other two hormones now, oxytocin and dopamine. Oxytocin is the hormone of trust. You have to have trust to be able to sell somebody, right? Is anybody gonna buy you if they don't try, buy something from you if they don't trust you? No. There may be one or two nuts who would do that, but most yeah. wouldn't. Right? Sure. So when I started talking to you about all the things I did and I could do for you versus when I started asking you where you were trying to go and what was important to you, which one of those led to more of a trust in your part? Definitely the second one where you're asking about what? my goals. Why? Hmm. I guess when you show interest in someone, it makes you feel more seen or more like brought into the conversation. Uh, yeah, it does feel like you're building more of a connection by asking those type of questions instead of just performing. Yeah, exactly. 
And trust is an interesting thing. My good friend David Horsacker has the Trust Institute, and we've got a lot of books in trust. So if your audience wants to, um, okay, you know, read about trust, they should read Dave Horsacker's work. Um, yeah, we'll include a, a link to to all the things we reference in the uh, show links at the in right. the show. But um, trust is earned. I didn't earn any trust by telling you all the good things I did. I started earning it by asking about where you want to go because now you're saying he's interested in me. He wants to find out where I am. Trust is never a uh, a, um, a one-time thing. It's something that we have to continuously build upon in the relationship. But once it's lost, whatever reason, like we miss a delivery, mm. whatever, that's when it's hard to get it back. So, right. So we're not building enough trust yet to have the person say yes to the deal. We just started the journey of trust by asking them where they wanted to go. It's an important distinction. Dopamine is the feel good hormone. Dopamine rides with oxytocin. You can't feel good if you don't have trust. Did you feel better about things the way the second conversation was about to go versus the first? Yeah, I think another word to to put in there is you feel more understood. Yeah, when you when you get asked those type of right, questions, so you felt better, right? So those are the three hormones: cortisol, dopamine, <laughs> and oxytocin. It's a very simple formula. Find out where people are going, and then tell them how you can help them. If you do this right, that's cool. If you do this right, you will then only pick one, two, or three items in your features that speak directly to what the person wants. And you're just going to talk about those two things. So you want it leads, yeah. Paris, right? Let me share right. with you how your, how your salespeople are going to have better leads. When they learn this process of how to emotionally engage their prospects, they'll uncover more leads to more business opportunities. Mm. And they will happen immediately. Okay. All I have to talk about is that. Maybe something else that you want and more deals. And I'm not going to talk about anything else. But so you're not trying to sell everything, no, just because like catering the pitch to what, what yeah. they want. Not what right. they can do. Yeah. Right? If I go in and start talking about 10 features and puking people, other knowledge about everything, if I just puke at you about everything I can do for you, Hoping that something hits the wall and the first three or four don't even get close to it. Are you listening to the next six? Right. I've definitely done that puked in many a sales meeting. So, so yeah, I've definitely seen that. It's like the more insecure you are in the meeting or the more you don't listen, the more you try to fill it up with all the bells and whistles that you because offer. You think that if we're talking, they're listening and that's absolutely the opposite. God wow. gave us two ears and one mouth for one reason. Listen more and talk less. Yeah, that seems like uh, like anti-intuitive for I think most sales roles or what you'd expect, like the stereotypical salesperson. Interesting. Now this is really good. So the velocity mindset, you've got a, a book written about fleshing all this out, all the processes. There's two books that address that part. Uh, okay. 
lead seller get out of the way talks okay. about the puking and it gives you the actual questions the velocity mindset uh, lead seller get out of the way is like a training program it's great okay so the velocity mindset takes it to a higher level by talking about the things that strip us of our velocity and the hormones we just discussed but it gets okay. to a couple of other things it talks about starting with the end in sight first but there's one more part we didn't discuss that's in that okay. mindset that's really important. It is the personal obstacles we put in front of us. Our <laughs> stories. Let me explain what I mean. Okay. Um, the world today is really a tough world to live in. <laughs> I can say the same phrase to three different people. And they're thinking three different things based right. on their biases and experiences in life. Right. In other words, each of them is creating a story as to what they think I meant by that statement. Yeah. Cause even as you said it, I was kind of mapping it to, to whatever issues I've heard about recently or something like yeah, that. Yeah. And it's your story when I could mm -hmm. be talking about something else that has nothing to do with that. Right. So an example I like to give is, you know, when Manhattan was still pretty run down in the 80s before it was rebuilt nicely like it is today. Um, <clears throat> Harlem started, in all intents purposes, at 100th Street, but it got pushed up because nicer buildings. So people were looking at the old buildings and saying, what can they renovate? And the story I give is, let's suppose there's 20 people in 20 cars driving down this one street, 110th Street, and they see this big, beautiful, not beautiful, but run-down building that's deserted. And they're saying, well, this is going to be a good area. Maybe maybe I should invest and buy, invest and buy it for a dime, right? And, and get a return on yeah. investment. 19 people are going to drive by and say, nah, it's too much of a big thing. I have no idea how to do it. And they go, <laughs> That one person who stops has the same issue. It's a big situation. They don't know how to do it, but they're changing the story. They're thinking about, hmm, the end inside. I can see this really working out in a renovated neighborhood. Okay. How do I do it? Well, I don't know. So maybe I need an architect. So I go to the architect and they take the ideas out of my head and then they put it down and they create a picture. Now we can feel it. We can touch it. And I say, well, how do we build it? We get a contractor in, it gives us the information, make the best decision before you know the building to go. The 19 people before had a story in them, had mine. I can't do it because it's too big that I don't know where to start. Right. The other person had a different story. This is an interesting neighborhood. I don't know how to do it, but I'm going to get the best advisors and together we're going to figure it out. If it makes sense or not. Interesting. So it's like the difference between a almost a defeated mindset versus a growth mindset. Right. Or looking well, for whatever instead it is, of focusing on the problem, saying, looking for yeah. solutions. I'm not mm -hmm. delineating that those are the two different ways we can go. Oh, okay. But I'm just saying we had different ways. Right. Right? Sure. Now our past impacts the stories we make up. I was a, I had a tough childhood with my dad. It was not mm. easy. 
and it led to a lot of a lack of confidence when I was young. And I always dealt with the story. I'm not good enough. Yeah. I won't be able to do it. And it took a long time for me to start reversing it. When I did, that's when my business and my career really started taking off. But how many times to make it even simpler? Does a member of your audience say, oh, this is a tough deal to get. They're going to say, no, I can't see them saying yes. And then you go in and do a call. You put yourself in that story. You're going to puke and talk about it because you think they're not even interested. Right. But if you change it and say, well, I never did business with this type of industry, but I sure would love to learn about it and, uh, and see if there's some synergy there, then you're going to do a different set of actions based on that story. Right. The point is that we all create stories based on what people say, based on what they do to us, and even based on what they don't say and do, because that creates a story. How come they didn't call me back? He hates me. He's not interested. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> so we always have to monitor our stories because if we're not operating under the right stories, it can hold us back. And that's a big point. Yeah, that's good. Of uh, gaining velocity in your life. Yeah, that's awesome. Uh, that's definitely something that I've seen over the course of my own personal career, going from like I grew up poor, you know, and didn't really have business examples or any like much success examples when I was younger. And over the years, like I had to go through several kind of evolutions in my mindset after being around people who were successful and seeing how they conducted their lives and thought about situations and went after problems. I was like, Oh, there's like people who think they're actually worthy of better circumstances or worth <laughs> actually investing in and worth investing in yourself through better books or training or whatever. And that was just a new concept completely to me. But actually there are a lot of your heroes today to fight that same problem. We have in the book how the biggest uh, dilemma many of us have is the fraud concept. They think they're a fraud. Yeah. Wait till people find out. Um, Tom Hanks has that. Every time he finishes a movie, he thinks that, hmm. oh my God, this is going to uncover me as being the biggest <laughs> fraud in history. Seriously. We documented it in the book. Yeah. Right? Wow. A lot of people who are overachievers feel that and they have to deal with that because of what your parents told you. Like, a lot of it happens when we're a kid. Imagine you want to go out for band in junior high school. Two kids. They both stink. Right. The teacher goes up to kid number one. You have absolutely no musical talent whatsoever. I think you should find something else that you're more passionate about. Kid number two, same statement. You absolutely have no musical talent. I think you should find something else you're more passionate about. <clears throat> Kid number one says, oh my God, I'll never be a musician. There's no hope for me. And so therefore, they never ever take up music. They stay away from it. They don't go to concerts because they're just upset. And, and uh, they know that they're not good at it. Kid number two says, screw this. That's what she thinks. I'm going to become the best musician in the world. And they go on to become the number one cellist or whatever. 
because that chip yeah. on his shoulder is what's driving them. Two people yeah. doing the same thing, but creating different stories based on how they were brought up, based on who influences them in their lives right now. That's why you always hear people saying, if you, you know, I used to, when I first started my business in 88, I moved into an executive suite across the street from where I live. And, you know, because I needed some interaction with some people. And I walked to this other guy, he, he represented a computer company, really nice guy. But man, he was so negative. Every morning, I mm. want to start my day after I sit down and have a little chat with him. I say, hey, how you doing? Good. Ah, so so. What do you mean, so so? Ah, this customer <laughs> doesn't do this, that customer. I fired him three weeks later for my morning coffee because he was depressing <laughs> me. Right. His story wasn't good for me. I needed to put myself and associate myself with people that were looking what they were going to do, not what they couldn't do. Because I could yeah. easily fall down that rabbit hole myself. I was just about to ask you, how can we more intentionally create better stories for ourselves? So obviously one of the things is who you're associating with and what right. kind of stories they're speaking out loud that affects right. you. And also changing the way you think about yourself. Look, we all get doubts. Sure. So what I tell my clients, and I coach a lot of CEOs, by the way, um, what, what I say to my clients is, well, when they say, I can't do this, really? Like if a ball player's in a funk, right? You know, a home run hitter, let's say. And, yeah. And, and now that they haven't hit a home run in two months, what are they thinking? These are professional athletes. They're thinking that they lost it. They're thinking that they can't do it. You know what I say to them? Go back to that best home run you ever hit in your life. You have that moment in your mind, and they're going to go, yes. I want you to visualize it now. Before you even went up to the plate, visualize what you were thinking about before you went up to the plate. Now visualize yourself going up to the plate and being in the same mindset the same feeling as that home run. Tell me what's coming up for you. And it lowers their angst just by doing that, number one. But more importantly, yep. when you make someone go through that, they realize, well, wait a minute, there's no reason why I can't do it again. I've done it before. That's my point to them. You've done it before. Physically, you can do it. The thing that's stopping you <laughs> is here, not your physical. Unless you're right. unless you're getting really old and forty five, yeah, yeah, and 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 your skills are deteriorating where you just don't have no power. But I'm talking about sure. the right? Right. How do you get out of it? Because that right is a story. Hmm. Interesting. Okay. So it's almost like you're doing a little bit of self-programming. Everything is programming. Our brains are computers, just like the computers we use to do Zoom. Garbage in, garbage out. Right. If you don't like what's coming out in your story, you got to put different information in. You might as well go back to the times you were successful <laughs> versus thinking about how this is not going to be successful. Yeah. So let's, so since this kind of the overall theme of this show is helping people figure out 
what others are doing to get those first customers and kind of those first moments. Let's say somebody's starting out and they don't have past successes yet they um, do. to go back to. They do. Okay. Okay. They have success. Look, they may not have successes in the exact business that they're mm-hmm. starting, but they have right. successes of how they started something new in the past. Mm-hmm. They have successes of how they took risk in the past. Because anybody who starts a new business is a risk taker. Sure. To some degree. Yeah. So just go back to the times in your life that shows that you could, that will serve you well, that says you could do this. Or if you're starting out a new business and trying to figure it out, go back to the last time you started something new and figured it out. You have experience in that. So basically lean on any past wins you can internally to kind of help you motivate yourself through any kind of ruts yeah, or downtime. You know, but, but, but I wouldn't say in the way you said it, because also the voice okay. lean into any, that means you, that means you're desperate. I got to create mm. one. No, you got them is what I'm saying. You have them. Okay. If you allow yourself to think along the right mindset. All right. You know, a big part of decision-making to decide if we go forward or not, very successful people use two things. They use the logic that they see, but they also use their intuition. Now, when I started learning, I'm former president of the National Speaking Association. I know a lot of the top experts oh, wow. in the world. Um, when I first joined NSA in the early 90s, when I was in the New York chapter, there was a, a friend of mine. She was also a past president of a chapter like me, Nancy Lozanoff. She was an intuition expert. And I love Nancy, but she was talking about intuition. At that time, when I started my business in 88, I was still too much of a young buck. Intuition, that's BS. Give me something that I can wrap my hand around. <laughs> yeah. But I got to tell you, I became a convert over the last 20 years because I've studied it. And when you think about intuition, intuition is nothing more than your subconscious. It's a combination of everything you know the world to be. It's a combination of your experiences. It's a combination of what we want to do and don't want to do. And sometimes when I have a tough decision to make, do I call this guy again? He hasn't returned my call in five days. Or do I do this? I immediately say, what's my intuition? Because it's down here. And I, I trust it. You have to, as Paul Domingo says, you have to listen, trust, and act on your intuition, on your, because this, how you feel tells you. So people that start a new business, they wouldn't be doing it if they didn't intuitively think that they could succeed. They really have inside of them ideas of when they tried something new and they succeeded. You see what I'm saying? So we all have yeah. it. Well, let me ask you this question. You started a new podcast, right? At some point, this sure. morning? Yeah. Right? When you mm-hmm. had to make the decision to go or no go, there's going to be expenses and time involved. Right. right? What made you think without, ex- without history, you haven't done the podcast before. What made right. you think you could succeed with it? Uh, I guess it would be just believing that it was a worthy goal to go after, that it was beneficial, okay, long-term value. To, um, I think that the benefits of podcasting, like making new connections with people um, and 
it can have like a lot of indirect benefits of building out your network with every connection that you make. And also any listeners kind of grows a, an audience. Okay. So uh, and, had experience in building out in networking and developing new relationships. Sure. Okay. Yeah. But just in a different that, way. Yeah. Not in this way specifically. Right. But, mm -hmm. And when you did that, your business got better. Yes. When you are, when you are decided to network to get more relationships, were you engaging to get people to want to talk to you? Uh, yes. Right. You so got to engage people and have conversations. Yeah. Your decision to go ahead and take the risk. Yeah. Is that a fair statement? Yeah. Yep. That's what I'm yeah, I see what you're saying. It's, it's everything about you that kind of tells you whether you want to or you don't want to. And many times when we shy away from it, it means there's something in our intuition that's um, pulling us back. It could be our passion for it. it that's not as strong as we thought it was. It could be other things. Right. So... Yeah, our subconscious is like the sum of our whole life experience and the way we interact with our subconscious is just through our feelings. Yeah, the subconscious is more powerful than people think and it mm. re really dictates a kind of story. So I'll give you an example, and this is all documented. If okay. people are experiencing any kind of pain in their body, specifically back pain, fibromyalgia, joint pain, before you go and do anything to fix it, I want you to read the book Healing Back Pain by Dr. John Sarno. Hmm. Dr. Sarno was a pain med doc in uh, New York, uh, NYU, in the early 80s. And he was confused. He didn't understand. He'd always write, you know, the opiates or whatever, you know, painkillers or muscle relaxers. But he couldn't understand in his mind how does a dead nerve create pain? It's impossible. Hmm. The nerve's dead. So it's not, shouldn't be sending any signals, pain exactly. or otherwise. Exactly. Right. So he was actually a precursor to some of the neuroscience findings because he started investigating the mind and Freud, you know, and what he realized is whenever we get to something in our subconscious, the mind starts thinking about it. Um, and it, it's something that we don't want, a bad memory or whatever. Um, the mind tricks us and creates a diversion, i.e. pain, to get away from that thought. Now, this is the most simplistic way I can describe it for people. I ask them to really read the book, Healing Back Pain by Dr. John Sarno, because I've given this to a lot of colleagues, and everyone called me up thinking because they they saw themselves whether they had back pain, heart pain, whatever. Wow! Pain. And it gives you some good idea. And all it's, all they're saying in that book is all you got to do is allow yourself to go there, and you will have a better idea of how to deal with it. It's how fear yeah. that stops us. You with me? Yeah. So, in the 1980s, the biggest drug that was out there was for ulcers. We never hear about ulcers anymore because the newer drugs in the early 80s, you know, basically took care of that problem. What replaced that malady was back pain. 
Really? I had four back surgeries. Whoa. I infused nine levels in my back, which is a big deal. I still play golf. Wow. It's a big deal. Three years of hell in my life. Yeah. And Sono died. I called up his successor, who he left to practice to. And I studied under him the TMI program that Sono created. And he warned me, you know, you're ready down the road with surgeries, so you got some other issues. This may not help you, but I think it can help in some degree. So it didn't stop my neck surgery, but what it did do, I met CEOs in that room, and they swore that they never had surgery because of this. I wish I had that 30 years ago because I would have avoided surgery. Mm. I know it in my heart. Because I know wow. what it's going through. The abuse at home. And everything that I had to overcome created stories right. inside of me that created pain in other areas. And, and, you know, I was able to see it. And now today, even though I had the back surgeries, I use that process anyway because we don't live it. You know, it's with us till we die. So right. I'm about to go into something in my subconscious. I allow myself to go there because I know how to deal with it and I want to address it so it doesn't get in my way. So that book talks about going through that process and kind of how to kind of do that yourself. Okay, cool. Yeah, we'll include a link to that as well. I put in the velocity mindset, how you got to start with what you want to be. Hmm. For example, I had a dentist call me up about four years ago before the pandemic. Um, he had a practice in uh, Texas. I never met him. We did it all for Zoom. And um, he hired me, paid a significant fee to coach him. His practice was running $3 million. He wanted to get up to a $6 million win rate. I asked him, so he told me what success would look like. That was in answer to my question. And I said, okay, so what's stopping you from getting there? He goes, well, you know, I'm, I'm in a middle-class neighborhood. Those are my patients. Um, they don't have a lot of dental insurance, and they don't have a lot of discretionary funds. And every time I'm pitching fifteen to $20,000 implants, because I know it's going to help them, because I look at their teeth, and I wouldn't look at them if I met them at a dance. <laughs> I can't get them to part with the 15, 20 grand. And I said, well, show me how you do that talk with them. And he did what most people do. He started puking about yeah. how he was going to do it and what he was going to do. When I taught him how to ask the patient before he even gets into the diagnosis. Tell me, why do you want a different smile? Oh, I want to be promoted, you know, and I, I, I just feel like it's going to stop me from getting promoted because they have to do press interviews and who would want to press interview with this. And I also want to get married. How am I going to find my significant other? So what you're telling me is that you're looking for a new smile to enhance your life, improve your chance of getting promoted, and improve your chances of being attracted by to somebody else. Yes. Well, let me show you how I can help you do that. Wow. Then you talk about the one, two or three things in your process that's going to lead right. to the smile, that's going to lead to the promotion, that's going to lead to that, and that's it. But now they're listening to you with heightened awareness because now you talk about something that they want. Sure. You got to emotionally connect it. So when he understood that framework, the velocity mindset, and when he started working with his people outside 
than the outside office because they're also part of the sales process. We had a six-month agreement. He paid me the whole thing up front. Two months into it, he says, we can stop. I said, why? We're already on the runway for $6 million. <laughs> wow. That's how fast it is. Yeah. I'm talking about instant results, Paris. Give yeah. me an example, another example. Well-known um, investment company, we all know it, um, called me up one day. This is a long time ago, about 10 years ago. And they said, look, we know our numbers. They know their market, too. They're written up in a Harvard Business Review as knowing, you know, one of the things, if you want to get velocity, you better know who your ideal market is because you can't sell to everybody. Their ideal market was retirees. Why? Because their offices around the country were one-man offices, one-person offices. And so they couldn't deal with people that were doing active trading. They only wanted the retirees who wanted to know a good investment strategy. They agreed. And you talk to them once a quarter, show them the results and see how it's going. So they knew exactly who they wanted. They knew it took five calls to get one of those clients on board. They wanted to reduce it. We reduced it to three calls. Wow. How much money can you generate more in more deals? Right. Sales cycle. So the way it was, I went out and they actually yeah. uh, cold called in some of the, like in the neighbors in the suburbs of Chicago. And I went with them to see, test how it went. And the first guy was a great guy. You know, he was a two to three year tenure. We get into this uh, older couple's house, pictures of the kids, the grandkids, Chicago Bears. And the first thing he did was spend 12 minutes, I counted it, 12 minutes, trying to create the social relationship. Tell me about all those kids. They're so great. Who are they? And that time, oh, the Bears was a bad game this Sunday, wasn't it? And I was just looking at the couple's eyes. And while they were friendly because they were Midwesterners, and they allowed him to talk, they were rolling their eyes. Who are these people? <laughs> And as each minute clipped on the clock, what do you think was happening to that cortisol? It's going, it going up. So when we got out of there, I said, I want you to do something different. He goes, okay. I want you to go into the next house and say, you know, you know, I represent so-and-so. I'm not here to talk about stocks and bonds because I already know you got something. That's not the conversation I need to have. I do have a question to ask you that would be okay. It's like, well, when it comes to your future, what are the three things you need your money to provide for you? And I stumbled onto the eyes rolling up because we didn't have um, the neuroscience findings out with the dopamine and the cortisol and all that. But I saw their eyes roll up. And they went straight to the three things. Retirement, college fund, and whatever. Yeah. So, and he got that information from them. We were only there for two minutes. He got more information in those two minutes than he got in the first call that took 12 minutes just to build a social relationship. And everybody thinks that's the biggest thing that you need for, no, you need to build the relationships. But the relationships that people want to build with the people they buy from, a relationship centered on helping them get to where they want to be. 
not building right. a they, we all have enough friends already exactly I think that's such a good point. Yes, I've been in so many calls where I've been being pitched, especially, and they start talking about random sports stuff and just all this un totally unrelated because they're trying to just so obviously build some kind of rapport. And it, to me, it does the opposite because it's like, well, this right. is just a, a tactic because it has and nothing to do with while we're talking. Yeah, absolutely. So we got them down to three calls. They documented it. Wow. How much more profitable did they become? How much more velocity did they gain in their lives? Yeah. So then I'm, I'm, I'm out there in one of my visits and, and, and the training partner says, hey, we got a class in. Um, when you come back, can you uh, just do a one hour of your stuff at the end of today? I said, sure. So I did a one hour, given the question we use and the whole process. That night, we all stayed at the same hotel and 11 o'clock, my phone rings. I'm like, who the heck is calling me at 11 o'clock? And... Um, and the guy, I answered and he goes, listen, I'm sorry to wake you up, but I got to talk to you. I said, go ahead. It was one of the people in the class. He was a four-year veteran. He said, I got to tell you, I tried what you said we should. I said, well, tell me what happened. He goes, I had two widows, both for $100,000 to invest. I'm speaking to one for six months, one for three months. I can't get them to move. So what did he do? I said, I called both of them up tonight. The first one, I said, you know, I've been remiss. She goes, okay. Well, I realized all I've been doing was speaking about what I wanted to show you. I never asked you the most important question. Would you mind if I ask you that? She goes, sure. When it comes to your future, what are the three things you want your money to provide for you? <laughs> that were both widows. They both got into different conversations that I ever had with them before. And the neat thing, that night, before he called me, one of them committed their funds to him that night. Wow. And the other one allowed him to come back in for a certain appointment. That's how fast they can work. Wow. So just changing the conversation, changing the questions. And he was going out, you said six and eight months. And then with one conversation based on using your with strategies. Correct strategy conversation. Yeah. Just because you're having conversations with prospects doesn't mean you're having the right conversation. For sure. Man. I tell you what, this podcast has been so amazing getting to talk to, to people like you and uh, other guests on the show because I learn something every time. And every time I feel like I have an idea of how it's going to go and then it <laughs> – it's totally different, especially this one. This has been crazy because we're already coming up on an hour and – it took a totally different turn. I felt like he got up in my soul a little bit. I got me all self-reflective and, and I didn't expect that coming into this. Well, but when uh, we got up into your soul, mm -hmm. trust was built. We felt better. Yeah. And to me, I felt like we're only here 20 minutes. It's an hour already. Yeah. It's crazy. That's the way we got to go. Um, prospects and customers to feel <laughs> because at the end of the day, I don't care what you sell. People only buy one thing, experiences. Experiences. Um, as we're wrapping up, can you go back to your very first sale that you said you did through cold calling and compare, if you can remember, what you did in that sales process and compare that to what you recommend now and maybe because you said you did some stuff wrong and and use that as an example of kind of the before and after. <laughs> I'm going to like everybody else. So sure, sure. 
picks we all make, but then I analyze and I know I did it. But I think to answer that question, when I had my first client, um, I got that client in spite of myself. That's the answer. Because I was doing more puking at that time. I was talking yeah. about the kind of training I was going to do. And the guy turned out to be a nice guy. We became lifelong friends and I helped him. But I don't think that approach would work today. Yeah. As you were talking about the different scenarios, especially with that last one with the, the different widows and how the change the questions, change the, the outcome, um, I'm going back to the most recent sales meetings that I've had even in the past week and looking at, okay, that would have helped clarify because we had one client where they were, you know, they wanted to get things started real fast, get a marketing campaign going. And I see now if I would have thought about your specific way of approaching the conversation, we could have helped them clarify what they were even wanting because, you know, there's unlimited possibilities because we have a, a marketing agency and there's just, you know, you can do anything. You can do all kinds of things with marketing the these days. The clarification is one of the questions we list in Lead, Sell, Get Out of the Way. Okay. It goes, it goes back to that story concept because I can say the world is round and I can say to a few different people and they'll all think about three different things. Right. Based on how they interpret it. So you got to clarify. When we hear the same words over and over, I want to move fast. Or describe, clarify what you mean by fast. Clarify why it's so right. important to move fast. What's at risk if you don't move fast enough? So, but what I would advise your listeners, if they really want to get this and really increase their sales significantly, start the velocity mindset. Get what okay. the whole thing about the mindset is. It's an easy read, but it gets you the whole, and then go read, lead something out of the way, because then it gives you the actual questions to ask. Okay. I'm going to do it. Uh, you've convinced me. This has been awesome. I feel like every show I'm getting a new book because the person I interview has a book and it's, I'm so convinced by the end of it. And this, this has been awesome. Uh, I really appreciate your time and uh, I'll include links to all of uh, Ron's books in the, in the links to the show. So everybody can take advantage of those. Ron, again, thank you so much for being here. Thank you for what you're doing, Paris. The world needs you and other podcasters more than we know. And to your audience, just keep believing in yourself. Awesome. See you next time, everybody.